Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Would you open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 17, beginning with verse 9, which is our sermon text this morning. Genesis 17, verse 9. I want to remind you that we're in a period of love Bloomington, and I just don't see people that anybody is inviting. And uh, if there is somebody, I'm sorry to talk about this publicly, but listen, people. You have to love your neighbors. You have to love the people you work with. And uh, you remember what Jesus said. Jesus said when when you have a meal... You have a banquet, who, who should you invite? He says, don't invite the people that are able to invite you back, right? But invite people that can't pay you back. And then you remember that the king said, go out in the highways and byways. And so when you live your life, I want you to see every person that you speak to as someone who the Holy Spirit would be delighted to speak through you to them. Everybody. So let's, uh, let's firm up our commitments to love others instead of loving ourselves. Hey, 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 All right. Here's our sermon text for the week. It's found in Genesis, the 17th chapter, verses 9 to 27. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations, a servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old, and will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But... My covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. 
When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all the servants who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day, as God had said to him. Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day, Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael, his son. All the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. This is the word of the Lord. Now here we pick up the the biblical record, the history of God speaking to Abraham. Again, Abraham is 99 years old and it's been 13 years since his last promise to Abraham to make of him a great nation. And the first verse of our text says, God said further. So this is a continuation of what he said before. God said further to Abraham, now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Now the word you here in English doesn't do a good job of translating the Hebrew that's behind it, that's being translated, because in Hebrew, as you go through this passage, these verses, these few verses, you'll find that some of the yous in Hebrew are plural and some are singular, but in English, Plural and, and singular you sounds and is spelled identical. You, you. <laughs> All right, you see that? You can't see it in the text. And so what you miss here is that God is commanding both Abraham as an individual and Abram's descendants to keep his covenant with them. Right now, he's speaking to Abraham alone. But he speaks to Abraham in such a way, the plural you, is to include all of Abraham's household and all of Abraham's descendants when he commands, keep my covenant. As the sin of Adam corrupted his wife and all his descendants down to you and me today, by eating the forbidden fruit, we are corrupted So the obligation to keep God's covenant made with Abraham was for all Abraham's family and all of Abraham's descendants. God here is commanding the unborn. All right? The unborn generations. Down to you, down to me, to keep his covenant. Throughout our generations. With the coming of Jesus Christ, the nature of this covenant has changed. No longer are we to circumcise our sons as the sign of the covenant. Circumcision was ended as the sign of initiation into the covenant with the decree of the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. Baptism is now the sign of initiation into the covenant, the new covenant of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. But until the coming of Jesus the Messiah, all of Abraham's descendants are included in the command given here by God to keep my covenant. It is not just Abraham, but it is all his descendants 
throughout their generations. And so old and new covenants, God does not call individuals without calling their families and their households. Let me say this again. Old and new covenants, God does not call individuals without calling their families and households. Nobody in this church can disagree with that statement. No one. doesn't matter what your position on baptism is. When God works, he works with the authority of a man. The original picture is Adam, the first Adam. Through his sin, all of us, male, female, all generations are corrupted. The second Adam, it is only through his obedience that we are saved. God works through individuals with families, with groups, with nations, with households. And so once again, old and new covenants, God does not call individuals without calling their families and households. You and I also, as Christians today, are to command our households to keep the new covenant throughout their generations. Now, this is easier for our African and Latin American and South American and African uh, Asian brothers and sisters to understand than it is for us uh, Western European uh, North American whites. Because we have such an individualistic approach, especially in the United States. We have such an individualistic approach to life that we naturally make our peace with God on an individual basis. And then, somehow, contrary to scripture, we feel guilty about putting any pressure on our wife, our son, our daughter, or our employees. Now, of course, we can break the law if we put illegal pressures on our employees. But it's a basic act of rebellion against God if we fail to call our household, our husbands, our sons, our daughters to keep covenant with God. He is your God. And therefore, he is the God of your descendants. In other words, God does not call a man to himself without calling his wife and children throughout their generations. And thus, the first gospel preaching in the new covenant given on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem ends this way. Listen to it. Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then this, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. When God calls you to trust his son Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, he also calls your household, those under your authority, throughout their generations. The promise is for you and your children, just as the promise was for Abraham and Sarah and their children. Throughout their generations, this has not changed from Old to New Covenants, from Old to New Testaments. 
The promise is to you singular and to you plural. The command is to you singular and you plural. And it is you singular who is to command you plural to keep God's covenant. None of this, I'm going to let my children make their own decisions about God's stuff, you hear so often from Christians. I mean, I've heard this myself from people that in the churches I serve, they'll say this. It's just incomprehensible to me for a father to tell me that he's protecting the free judgment of his son as to whether or not his son will walk with God and be holy. This is incomprehensible. No. We are to command our children to walk with God and to be perfect. We are to command our children to keep God's covenant, making it clear to them that if they do not keep God's covenant, we will cut them off from the household of faith, and it will begin in their own blood household. Okay? How could you not guard the boundaries of your household by the authority of your Father in heaven? So, for instance, in Genesis 18, 19, it says this. God is speaking to Abraham, and he says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So he's to command his household to keep the way of God. And then the uh, uh, so that clause, okay, for this purpose, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And this is so often the case in Scripture where it's clear that God's promises are unilateral and then he makes them lateral. You know, it's clear that they're unequivocal and then he makes them equivocal, right? It's clear that this is the covenant God has made, that God will fulfill it, and then he commands us to keep his covenant and to command our children to keep his covenant so that he will keep his covenant, right? And we want it one or the other. We want, well, no, no, God, make it unilateral. I want to be a puppet. I want my sons to be puppets. And God says, no, you are to command your children so that I may fulfill my covenant. Okay? Old and new covenants, it's the same. Now, it is true that Baptists, credo-Baptists, those who don't believe in baptizing infants, whenever you read this text in Acts chapter 2, where, it, where Peter says at the end of the sermon, Repent and be baptized. And then he says, For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. It's typical for Baptists to say it that, wait, 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 wait. It says, for all those that the Lord God will call, it's not just a promise to the family, to the children, but it's only to those that God will call. And the answer is yes. <laughs> you know? Pedo-Baptists, those who baptize babies, and those who baptize only those who believe, hold the same position there, right? And the reason is because we know that God has just commanded Abraham to do what? God has just commanded Abraham to circumcise Ishmael. And in the same text where he commands Abraham to baptize Ishmael, Right? 
Abraham pleads for Ishmael to be in the covenant. And God says what? No. Only those the Lord God will call. Abraham says, oh, that Ishmael may live before you. And God says, no. My covenant will be with the son of Sarah, Isaac. And then he's 13 years old, and Abraham, what? Circumcises his son. (laughs) From the very beginning, the mark of the covenant has been put on those who are not called by God. Do you all understand this? From the very beginning. All right? Circumcision is cutting off. This is the mark or sign of the covenant. Verse 10, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And circumcision is so closely identified with the covenant God has made with Abraham that in this verse it's introduced in this way, this is my covenant, circumcision. So the word circumcision, the act of cir- is the covenant. The covenant is circumcision, circumcision is the covenant. Again, note that the U's are mixed between singular and plural. Here God commands circumcision. Every male is to have the foreskin of his flesh removed by knife. Every male is to have the foreskin of his member cut off. Not the females, only the males. Why only the males? We don't know. Although keep in mind that it was Adam's sin that corrupted the whole human race at the fall. Because of Adam's sin, we all fell and came under the decree by God of death, judgment, and hell. And so it's fitting that the sign of the covenant of grace would also be carried by the male representative of the race. Of each marriage of each household. And as a matter of fact, here in his, uh, in his writing on this text... Martin Luther has a long section on the glory of motherhood. And he refers to motherhood as what? The circumcision of the woman. Okay? Luther refers to the pain of childbirth as the woman's circumcision parallel with man's removal of his foreskin. Both sexes suffer pain as a result of the fall. And both pains are at the place of God's blessing man with fruitfulness and God's building of his church. Adding godly seed through pregnancy and childbirth. At our most intimate parts, we are marked with pains, both male and female pains, which point back to the sin of both Adam and Eve, but also to the promise of grace given by God that from Eve will come one who will crush Satan's head, and from Abraham, one who will be a blessing to all nations. What kindness God shows us, even or especially in the signs of his grace. Verse 10, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and your descendants after you, Me and you, and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. 
And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you, and every male among you is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. So every male child of the household, whether slave or free, whether natural born or adopted, is to be circumcised on the eighth day. Now, why the eighth day? Again, we don't know, although it's often been suggested that this is to point to the day of our Lord's resurrection, which is the eighth day. All right? And so you have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So it's the eighth day. It's the day after, and therefore the day that we celebrate to this day, the resurrection of our Lord. Now let's look at this sign of God's covenant. First, was this practice of circumcision unique to the Hebrews? The answer is no. Many people of Old Testament times had the same practice, although it, had, it was done at different times and it had different significations to them than it did to the Hebrews, the descendants of Abram. One of the ways we know this is this from the book of Jeremiah, the ninth chapter, the 25th and 26th verses. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised and yet uncircumcised. And then this list, Egypt and Judah and Edom and the sons of Ammon and Moab and all those inhabiting the desert who clipped the hair on their temples for all the nations are uncircumcised and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised of heart. And so we see circumcision was practiced among the Egyptians, the Edomites, the Ammonites, the Moabites. The descendants of Abraham, variously called the Hebrews, the Jews, or the children of Israel, are to mark their descendants with the sign of the covenant, circumcision, and in their practice, it is to be done only to the male members of the household, and it is to be done on the eighth day following their birth. And as the promises of God of this covenant are everlasting, so the obligations of the covenant incumbent on Abraham and his descendants extend throughout his generations. And so today, we are the descendants of Abraham. We are the inheritors of the covenant promises. We are the nations who have been blessed by Abraham's descendant Jesus, who have seen Satan crushed beneath the cross of Jesus. And thus we have Abraham as our father in the faith, and we have Sarah as our mother in the faith, as Luther puts it. But despite being descendants of Abraham and Sarah, we are not today marking our children by the sign of the covenant on the eighth day. The male children of our households, we are not cutting off the flesh of their foreskins eight days after they are born as a sign of the covenant. The covenant is the same. Our covenant is the same as Abraham's trusting in the coming one who bore the sins of the world on his cross, our Savior Jesus Christ. Abraham had the same faith that you and I have. That's the same covenant. The covenant has changed. It's a new covenant. Both true. Okay? Our covenant is the new covenant in which circumcision is prohibited by Scripture. 
The conflict in Antioch that led to the Council of Jerusalem was whether the Gentiles who entered the New Covenant through faith in Jesus Christ must be circumcised. And the answer given by the apostles in the church of Jerusalem, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to them, is no. Gentiles were not to be troubled, it says, with circumcision. The covenant God made with Abraham is the same covenant God has made with every Christian today. And thus it is that the Apostle Paul tells us that Abraham is the father of us all. In Romans 4, beginning with verse 16, we read, For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead, and calls into being that which does not exist, in hope against hope, he believed, so that he may become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. So, you and I are Abraham's descendants. By faith in Jesus Christ, he is our father. He is the father of all who by faith in Jesus Christ have entered the new covenant of faith in Jesus as our savior. So yes, the covenant is the same today as it was with Abraham. It is by faith. And the object of both Abraham's faith and ours is the same. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ. God's own Son, who gave himself up for us on the cross to purchase peace with God for all who believe. But no, the covenant is not the same. It's not the same today as it was with Abraham because the new covenant forbids us to use circumcision as the sign of the covenant. Galatians 5, 2-6, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law you have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace, for we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. And so here we must see and note carefully the similarities and differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And in connection with learning those similarities and differences, it is helpful to learn the words continuity and discontinuity. Much of the disagreement between Christians is because of our differences over where there is continuity and discontinuity between the Old and the New Covenants. The keeping of the covenant in the Old Testament prior to the death of our Lord Jesus and the keeping of the covenant in the New Testament after the death of our Lord Jesus right down to today. And few of those disagreements are more volatile 
more long-standing and divisive among Christians, especially since the Protestant Reformation, than the question of whether or not the covenant sign of circumcision was abrogated, was cut off in the new covenant because baptism replaced it. There are two groups. One group is the pedo or infant. Pedo stands for child, little child. One group is the pedo-baptizers, the infant baptizers. The other is the credo, just because it rhymes. And sometimes it's called adult baptism only. Sometimes it's called believers. I don't think we should refer to it as adult baptism because uh, people who believe in believers' baptism are not against children being baptized. But the children should be baptized on the basis of their own personal expression of faith and repentance. So let's call it uh, infant baptism versus believer's baptism or pedo versus credo. Uh, Infants versus believers only, all right? And to put it simplistically, the pedo-baptists argue that the new covenant sign of baptism has replaced the old covenant sign of circumcision. That is, it is to be done to infants following their birth that it is to be done to infants born or adopted into the household of believers, just as Abraham was to mark the members of his household with the sign of the covenant. All right? For their part, the credo-baptists, the believers-only Baptists, argue that baptism is only to be given to those who have the capacity to place their faith in Jesus Christ personally for the forgiveness of their sins, and thus that it is not to be given to infants incapable of expressing repentance and faith. Now we can get high-handed about this and say that the believers only Baptists then don't believe that you can be saved before you're able to express faith. That's absolutely not what they hold. They believe that John the Baptist, that Jeremiah, that other people in history have been Christians because scripture talks about God setting them apart in the womb. They also believe that it's possible for God to set a man apart before he has any cognitive ability that God can work irrespective, without respect to, the cognitive and verbal abilities of an individual, but they will not baptize until there is the ability of that child to express the work of God in them. Okay. The disagreement can be summarized in this way. Pedo, infant baptizers, believe baptism has replaced circumcision as a sign of the covenant, and that this replacement is mostly continuous. In other words, it just sort of keeps going. Continuous, uh, no interruptions between the old and new covenants, whereas credo believers Baptists believe baptism, like circumcision, is the sign of initiation into the covenant, but that the relationship of baptism and circumcision in the New and Old Covenant is more discontinuous than continuous. All right? In other words, at the point of circumcision and baptism, infant baptizers see continuity of the covenants, whereas believer Baptists see discontinuity. Yeah, it's a, it, it, it's a, it, it's a rule of thumb, right? It's, it's just... You know, it's not perfect, but that's basically the truth. Continuity and discontinuity is the argument, and here in this sanctuary, we together hold each of these two positions. We stand on each of these two sides. We are convinced and practice each of the two positions. 
For your information, I myself believe in infant baptism. And thus, I am on the side that sees more continuity between the Old and New Covenants at this point of the sign or the mark of the covenants. Now, having said that, I have a series of shots I want to send across the bow of infant baptizers. Okay? And the reason for this is I'm really tired of the pride of pedo-baptists. My pride, the pride of other pedo-baptists. Again and again, you'll find pedo-baptists saying that Baptists can't be covenantal. And as I said in the first service with Tim and Ann Wagner sitting up front, I remember the day when there was a man who I worked with as a pastor said to me, when the new church gets started, if you will make it a PCA church, if it's a PCA church, I'll work for six months without pay at the church. And immediately I thought to myself, well, that means that Tim Wagner will not be an elder in the, in the new church. I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. Why? Well, because Tim Wagner is one of the most covenantal men I've ever known in my life. Why do I say that? Well, those of you who have been here a few years know that Tim and his wife, a few years ago, had a son who was raised in the covenant in this church, was commanded to keep the ways of the Lord, and he apostatized. And he said, he is not my God, and I will not serve him. And before the church ever got around to excommunicating him, Tim and Ann removed him from their home. Now I ask you, those of you who have some experience in Pado-Baptist churches, who is more covenantal, all those Presbyterians that baptize their babies and then overlook their wickedness as they come to adulthood, or Tim Wagner? You get my point? Keep your eye on the ball. There's keeping covenant, and then there's keeping covenant. And it's the way of sinful man to always point to formalities and to overlook substance. And you may have the formality of the Lord's command to baptize, and you may practice infant baptism, but that does not mean that you command your household and your descendants to all generations to keep the way of the Lord. I can't think of someone who has presented a more precious gift to this church in the last few years than Tim and Ann Wagner. Can't think of it. I'd rather die than not have Tim Wagner an elder of the church I serve. And you say, well, that's a horrible thing to say when they've cut off their son and you're, you're talking about it publicly and I say, God ordained it. God is the one that's commanded us to keep the way of the Lord. 
God is the one who has told us to cut off the covenant breakers from our midst? Am I not to take glory in the dispensations, the decrees of God? Am I not to take glory in the faith of parents who cut off their children who will not serve God? Am I not to take joy in that? Is that not to strengthen me as I preach this text? Huh? I believe in infant baptism. But if I have to choose between infant baptism and fathers and mothers who will discipline their covenant breakers by removing them from their home, I'll choose that any, any day of the week. Which is the greater testimony of faith in God? And so a few shots across the bow of those who like to look down their noses at credo-baptists. Okay? Here's a paedo-baptist giving you the arguments for not baptizing infants. <laughs> All right? You all with me? Okay, let, 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 let's, let's go through them. We must not be high-handed about our position for a whole host of reasons, starting with the basic fact that Scripture here in our text gives a very clear command concerning the subjects of, bap- of circumcision, that all the male members of Abraham's household throughout their generations, it's to be done on the eighth day following birth when possible, whereas Scripture nowhere gives any clear command concerning the baptism of infants. (laughs) Can I say it? The specificity of the command of circumcision in every way slaps you in the face. You just can't escape it. It's to be done to the males. It's to be done on the eighth day. If it's not done, they're to be cut off. And by the way, that word cut off, do you recognize it? Certainly, Scripture has implications in the New Testament for the practice of infant baptism. It does have a number of examples of household baptism. But that is no explicit or foolproof argument that all the babies of that household were and still today are to be baptized without evidence of their own personal repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Nor is it any indication that the future generations of the Philippian jailer, for instance, the future generations of the Philippian jailer who don't believe are yet to baptize their sons keeping the covenant sign passed down to them by their father, the Philippian jailer, many generations ago. In other words, with circumcision, Jews were to circumcise. But what about baptism? Does this mean that 20 generations after the Philippian jailer, when none of his descendants have followed God, none of them have confessed faith in Jesus Christ, that we're to continue baptizing them because after all, baptism has replaced circumcision. Now, I have to tell you that in one place in a letter, Calvin does basically sort of say that. But you all recognize this is absolutely not practiced across the Reformed Church down through Protestantism. 
And so apparently, paedo-baptists don't believe that this covenant sign should mark every generation regardless of the faith of the parents. Because in this book of church order, the Presbyterian Church in America, as all Reformed people have said, any child baptizes a baby has to be the child of one Christian at least, preferably two. And so a mother can bring a child to be baptized, even if her husband doesn't believe. But if there's no faith in the parents, we don't, we are prohibited. All Presbyterian denominations that I know of, and I'm sure there's a weird split piece somewhere that I can't speak for, but all of them require one of the two parents to be Christians. Start with eight days. Nowhere is the time after birth given in the New Testament for the child to be baptized. Then the sign itself. The sign has changed. It's no longer the cutting off of a part of the body, but rather it's a washing of all the body. I'm showing you the discontinuity. All right? Move on to the subjects of the sign. There are no longer males only, but now females also are to be marked. Also, note that the nature of the sign differs in that a man and his wife always had the mark of the covenant between them when they were intimate. Okay? There in plain sight was the mark of belonging under God's covenant promises and owing God obedience of his covenant obligations. In fact, not only between husband and wife, but when a man bathed among other men as in a locker room, wherever he was naked, there was the sign. In all its permanence and visibility, it was undeniable, it was obvious, and it could not be removed. Not so baptism. Get a man wet, then hand him a towel and he's dry. Whether he's been sprinkled, whether he's had water poured over him with a pitcher, or whether he's been dunked in a river or a church baptismal pool or a horse trough. And so you see, there is lots of discontinuity between the sign of the covenant initiation, the old and the new covenant. There's no command to baptize infants. There's no time prescribed an eighth day. There's no cutting off of a part of the body, but rather washing And it's no longer males only, but now it's males and females together. It's no longer visible permanently until death, but now it's gone as soon as the tower, the sun, passes over the body part. And after that, no one knows or can tell. And finally, the old covenant has an explicit command, whereas the command of the new covenant is only implicit, if at all. And it is for these reasons and more that Credo Believers Baptists include such faithful servants of God as John Piper, John MacArthur, John Bunyan, and John the Baptist. (laughs) Not so much the John the Baptist thing, okay? (laughs) I'm not going to give you that one. But I was on a roll with the Johns. Okay, the last one is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Now about this time, infant baptizers, paedo-baptists, protest. 
And here's our protest. It's in Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 9. And we will read to our Baptist, Credo Baptist friends, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority, and in him you were also circumcised. With a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your transgressions and this uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And so here at the account of God's command of covenant initiation through the sign of the covenant, circumcision, we read this text and we say, there it is. Scripture is very clear. Baptism has replaced circumcision. Now, when I read that, you do realize that it nowhere says baptism has replaced circumcision, right? Right? Did you hear that? It doesn't say it. We say it. Because we want you to take your eye off the ball. It establishes a parallel between baptism and circumcision. But there is a significant difference between establishing a parallel between two signs of the covenant. And saying that one is the other. Okay, there's a difference. There's a difference. So now, let me try to say some essential things that we all must hold, okay? First, listen, you Baptists, Credo-Baptists, Believers-Baptists, I remember an elder of this church saying to me one time that the Old Testament is all about flesh and land, and the New Testament is all about spirit. And once and for all, I want to kill that. It is absolutely not true. God says it's not true because in Romans 4, we read this. What then shall we say about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham, what? believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness now to the one who works his wage is not credited as a favor but as what is due but to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies whom this should be one of the most precious verses of all of scripture to you the one who justifies whom The ungodly. That means you. 
God is the one who justifies the ungodly. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but is what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also who follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through what? The righteousness of faith. So don't ever say that the Old Testament is flesh and land. It's not. All those who are saved by God are saved through the instrument of faith. And the object of their faith, all through Scripture, is the Messiah. It's Jesus. It's the one who bore the sins of the world. Second, let us note that nowhere in the Council of Jerusalem is it ever stated what certainly would have been inserted if we pedo-baptists were writing it today. Namely, that baptism has replaced circumcision as the mark or sign of covenant initiation. Nor is this stated in the book of Galatians. Now, people, think of how much easier it would have made it for us all if that simple statement had been put in the Declaration of the Council of Jerusalem in the book of Galatians. If it's so obvious that we should baptize infants. Why didn't the apostles say that? Why didn't the apostle Paul say it in Galatians? I mean, Galatians seems to pull every single argument possible. Sarcasm. Something touching on uh, sort of obscene language. The kitchen sink. The rolling pin. The skillet. I mean, the Apostle Paul uses every single argument, including all those arguments condemned by teachers of logic. It's just filled with ad hominem. So why didn't the Apostle Paul say a very simple thing? You idiots, baptism has replaced circumcision. Why not? <laughs> why not? 
And here's where you run into something that I have found a real comfort in my life, okay? And that is the inspiration of Scripture. Did you know that God inspires the ambiguity of Scripture as well as the specificity? Did you know that where God doesn't let things be clear, it's not because the truth eluded him. It's not because he didn't foresee that there would be a battle today over baptism of infants. It's that God wanted his word less than completely clear on this doctrine. Now, I know you talk to Peter Baptist and they'll tell you it's completely clear, and I say bunk. It's not completely clear. If it were completely clear, all the great reformers wouldn't spend so much time arguing for it. Right? And so I want us to notice that in the decree of the Council of Jerusalem and in the book of Galatians, there is no statement it would have wrapped everything up. Baptism has replaced circumcision. Now, those of us who are paedo-baptists will tell you that we see it everywhere, and, and honestly, I do. Honestly, everywhere I look in Scripture, I see that the right practice is the baptism of infants. <laughs> okay, I hate to tell you this. To me, it's as obvious as the nose on the end of your face. Okay, okay. Baptists, y'all with me now. But then I will say this to you. If you ask me, could it be made more obvious? <laughs> I'm going to go, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> and listen, that's a tell. That's a tell. I remember when Roger Nicole, my professor of theology at seminary, was giving a lecture on the five points of Calvinism. And he got to the perseverance of the saints. And we took a break. And I went up and I said, Dr. Nicole, um, if you were preaching through Hebrews and you came to the text where it talks about those falling away can never return, would you preach that text of, of Hebrews? And Dr. Nicole said, well, yes, I believe. He was Swiss. He said, I believe in preaching the full counsel of God. And then I said this to him. I said, Dr. Nicole, if you had never seen that in Scripture until you came across it preaching through the book of Hebrews, would it surprise you? And he was silent, and then he said, well, yes. And listen, we live under Scripture. We live under every jot and tittle of Scripture. We affirm and submit to its ambiguities. We acknowledge that our arguments are implicit and not explicit. We believe that where God fails to make something explicit, it's not because he didn't anticipate our needs. That is part of the inspiration of Scripture. Third, Many of Abraham's descendants of the flesh were not, were not descendants of the Spirit. Starting with Ishmael. Ishmael was circumcised, 
that very day when he was 13 years of old, after God said to him, Ishmael would not be a part of the covenant. Abraham, verse 18, said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes, and I'll make him a great nation. But... My covenant I will establish with Isaac. Now, in closing, here's my question to you. Listen to Deuteronomy 10, verse 16. God is speaking to his people and he says this. He says, so, circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. And so my question for you is, do you have a circumcised heart? Do you have a circumcised heart? Is your heart circumcised? You know, at this point, it would be easy for those of you who are credo Baptists to point to Pado Baptists and, and, and to say, um, you know, they're all wet. Scripture's against them. The pastor did a good job of showing that today. And it would be easy for the Pado Baptists, the infant baptizers, to point to the credo Baptists and say, you're not covenantal. And we could have we could have all this posturing, all our pride and our heritage, you know, our, our legacy that our grandfather was a Baptist preacher or our grandfather was a Presbyterian deacon or something. And you know what that does? That serves very effectively as a tool of Satan to take our minds off of circumcised hearts. We can be baptized and remain unwashed. And you know, it doesn't really make any difference whether we were baptized as infants or as adults, as believers. The world is filled with souls who have been baptized as adults who are unwashed. And you know something? Presbyterians say, I mark my children with a sign of the covenant. I believe in continuity of the covenant. I command my children. And then when his children grow up, guess what? Somehow he's AWOL. Somehow he doesn't discipline his children. Somehow he allows his children to continue to have his affection. To continue to cling to him as a father despite the fact that they have repudiated and reject his heavenly father. And then you can have a Baptist his son grows up and he shakes his fist at God and he lives a life of wickedness. And despite him not baptizing that child when he was an infant, 
that father says to the son, go out from my home, go out from my home. I will not have you, will not have you. You do not honor my father and this is my father's house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you know, I've told you many times, it was the most precious day of my life. It was the day that gave me life when my father did that to me. It was just so soft and so sort of in passing that it almost seemed to not exist. The Saturday morning, I'm walking through the front entryway to the stairs upstairs. I'm going up to my room, and Dad just shows up behind me in the hallway, and he says, hey, Tim, just a second. Turn around. He says, Tim, you're not serving the Lord. You may not live in my home. That's it. That's it. And I'm gone. I'm banished from my father. Banished. Why? Because it was not my father's house. It was his father's house. People, I don't give you a plug nickel for the debate over baptism. I just could not care less. I do care. I do believe in infant baptism. But what I care about and what this church believes in is that we will keep covenant. And we will keep covenant from generation to generation, and those of our children who repudiate our Heavenly Father will be banished from our houses and from the church of God. Do you understand this? And listen, if that isn't church unity, I have no idea what church unity is. Honestly. I am not ashamed of this church. I said in the first service, I'm gaga. When we as an elders board discipline our own children and the children of our pastors, we are united. And our pastors and our elders submit to one another in the discipline of their children. This morning, we have Stephen sitting here with his wife, Sebra, and their son was excommunicated this morning up at our sister church in Indy. And I don't have any question, I have no question that Stephen and Sebra choose God over Gabriel. Do you understand? And what difference does it make whether Stephen is a credo or a pedo Baptist? His sons will keep God's covenant. They will keep God's covenant. Because his house doesn't belong to him, pretty as it is. Actually, not pretty. Handsome. I don't know. What's, what's the word that you would use? Affected? Oh, no, no. It is drop-dead gorgeous, especially the doors, but that house belongs to God. The affection of that home belongs to God. The food of that home, the counsel of that home, everything in that home belongs to God. My home, your home, your children. And God will be sovereign in his decrees. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God says, no. 
And then God has him mark Ishmael with a sign. 